possible as well. So please check that out. Well, we're nearing the end of our Sermon on the Mount series. At the beginning, I told you that we believe that while there was certainly, most certainly, a historical sermon given on the Mount, that Jesus had that crowd before him, we think it's also likely when you look at these chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew that that it's very probable that he has included some things that might have been shared in other places or other time. I mean, there is far more that Jesus taught than we ever could get recorded in the scriptures that we have today. And this is certainly the case, because if you have paid attention, you'll notice that there seems to be a, a series of unrelated, generally unrelated threads of thought here. It's almost like Matthew has... Notice he's coming to the end of the section. He's going to share Jesus' teachings, and he's got all these quick hitters at Jesus. Uh, and, and he wants to get them in. So he's just bunched them in here this last chapter before he moves on to the next section of Scripture within his book. So keep that in mind as we go through. I'm going to do my best to pull some of this together uh, and make it more a coherent and a, a thematic sermon, but, but know that I'm, I'm having to reach in some directions here. Now, those first five verses, when I think about judgment, at least in my personal life, there's somebody that comes to my mind. And I've talked about her before briefly, but it'd be my Grandma Stone, who's long since passed. Now, Grandma Stone had a lot of very fine qualities. She was dedicated Christian and Methodist. She always read her upper room every morning. If you went to visit her, you would be sharing in that same routine as well. It was insisted upon. She certainly knew her Bible somewhat. She could quote scripture from time to time. And probably her most admirable trait was that for 25 plus years, she took care of my grandfather who had what we called at that time hardening of the arteries. And he walked around incoherent for 25 plus years. She fed him, she dressed him, she bathed him, everything without anyone else's help all that time. So she certainly deserves my aberration for that. But Grandma Stone used to always say, are you going to be my pastor in this family? Are you going to be that, that preacher in our family? But I want you to know, I didn't become a preacher because of my grandma. Matter of fact, if she was the only model of the Christian faith, I probably wouldn't even be a Christian. Because Grandma was so strict, for her, being a Christian meant you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't cuss, you don't have facial hair. She was always on me that my hair was too long. And, and this was the 70s, you know? Yeah, I, I, we could get pictures if you want. And, and she was always on me about my sideburns. Because this was the 70s too, you know, they were thick and they were long. She always threatened, while you're asleep, I'm going to take a razor to you. And she was always about, you don't work on the Sabbath. I think I, I've even mentioned this to some people. I remember we went out to Colorado. She lived in eastern Colorado. But we went to Fort Collins for a fellowship of Christian athletes, a friend and I from high school. We went to that camp. And when we finished the camp, we said, let's stop by and see my grandmother on, my, on the way. And so we stopped and spent the night, and it happened to fall that the next day was on Sunday. Well, Grandma Stone, you don't work on a Sunday. 
If you're going to watch TV, it has to be a religious program. After it's done, it's turned off. And so here we are Sunday afternoon, and we're thinking, okay, what are we going to do? So we got our tennis rackets and started to go out the door, and Grandma said, are you going to go play tennis on the Sabbath and leave your grandmother here? (laughs) And I looked at Tom, and I said, I guess not. (laughs) So we hung around a little bit and ended up taking naps all afternoon instead. Grandma Stone just didn't have any joy in her life. Certainly didn't make the Christian life attractive. I think she probably, in many ways, did, for me at least, more harm to the Christian faith than in favor of. She needed to know these verses that we've just shared with you. Because she was certainly very judgmental. She looked at other people, always trying to pull out the problems they had in their lives. And she's not the only Christian that needs to hear these passages. You know, a recent George Barna survey in 2015 surveyed young adults who don't go to church. And they remarked that in their opinion, 87% of them considered Christians judgmental. 70% of them considered Christians not very sensitive. Now, I know that's more perception than reality, because I know you, I know a lot of Christians, but still it shows the problem we have to overcome. If we're to reach the next generation or really reach any generation, we have to somehow come to grips with this judgmental attitude that seems to persist. Now, if we would look at the 12th chapter of Mark, you'd find a phrase that says, the large crowd heard him, Jesus, with delight. With delight. That last word can be translated with laughter. It's an important one because often I think our Bible translations have a very difficult time comprehending and appreciating the humor that Jesus uses. And certainly in this passage today, there's a lot of humor that Jesus is trying to get across. He shares a very interesting image that would cause that crowd on that hill to laugh on that day. And the people on that hill, they would know exactly who he's talking about. He's speaking of the Pharisees who were obsessed with trying to live out the Mosaic law as perfectly as they possibly could. And not only that, their strategy was to somehow shame everyone else towards that same attitude so they would begin pointing out the sin in other people's lives. And Jesus was completely against that strategy. He was so against it that he makes fun of it. And he uses this image of a plank or a log in their own eyes compared to the speck of sawdust in someone else's life. Now, I like that plank image. Because you see, I grew up on a farm and I knew all about planks. How many of you grew up on a farm or used planks in your life? Yeah, they're big, they're heavy. Ours were two by sixes or two by eights. And at least the ones we had were a true two inches, not this inch and a three-quarter thing that you often see. And most of the time, they had to be lifted up one end at a time. You just couldn't really carry the thing around very easily. Ours, some were so thick that we could pull a John Deere 4020 on it onto a trailer. They were so thick, and they wouldn't even give. So imagine what Jesus is trying to get across, suggesting that somehow you can carry a plank around in your eye. It's hard enough to carry around as it is. It would have had that crowd laughing. 
And the interesting thing, Dr. Ken Baker points out that the sawdust and the plank or log is the same original word suggesting they're of the same substance. And think about how deep that is. Jesus is trying to say to them that the sin you see in someone else's life is of the same variety that is within you. As a matter of fact, as F.W. Robertson says, each man unerringly detects in another the vice with which he is most familiar. So I would suggest to you, if there's something in someone else's life that just really bugs you, you might stop and do a little reflection and introspection and examine, is that something that with, is in with you, perhaps even to a greater degree? So be careful about where you turn your microscope. Help us examine ourselves first before we look at others. Now, does that mean we never make a judgment? Or maybe we prefer to call them discernments? No. Judgments are required every day. We all have to decide what's going to be the values for our family. If you're wise as a parent, you, you do some discernment about who you let your kids hang around with, especially when they're younger. And with all the fake news today, don't we have to use a lot of scrutiny about the news sources that we choose to pay attention to? We have to make judgments all the time. Even Jesus does. In, in verse 6 of what we read today, Jesus said, don't give holy things to dogs or to throw their pearls before pigs. That sounds pretty judgmental, doesn't it? And we know very clearly who he's speaking of. He's talking about the Roman overlords that ruled the Jewish people and that many of the Jewish faithful had simply decided in order to just get along with life, it was just easier to compromise their faith and traditions to get along with the Romans. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Remain true to who you are. Even Jesus calls us to make judgments and make discernments. And, and I hope that you noticed in verse 5, Jesus said, first take the log or plank out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother or sister's eye. You see, we're called still to be helpful to other people who've got that speck in their eye. And we should because if you've ever had a speck of dust in your eye, you know how much that hurts, right? And even if it's someone else's sin, that sin is hurting them as well. So we're not called to ignore it, to just tolerate it. But here's what he's saying. We're not called to be God. We're not called to take the place of God. We should never approach someone else as if we're superior to them. We are just as much a sinner as they are. And so whenever we choose to help someone else with that speck of dust in their eyes, we need to come as one sinner to another. We need to work with them, not for them, and we need to acknowledge that they have something to offer to us as well. We are in this together, is what Jesus is trying to say. And that's the spirit that continues in this passage that we read. The rest of the chapter talks about that we should be generous in our relationships, just as we are called to be generous with our finances, that we are called to give people the benefit of the doubt whenever possible. We're called to be gracious 
and tolerant when it makes sense because that's how God is with us. Our God is like that loving parent who wants to give the very best to each and every one of us. And you know what that looks like. I mean, I, I look around. I, we've got a lot of great parents in our congregation. I see you going to great extents to give your child every possible means to be successful in this life. You would give your life for them. I see it. I know it. Probably we sometimes go overboard, don't we? Because we love them so much. Sometimes we might be accused of being helicopter parents. It's hard to know when to give and when to pull back, when to let them suffer the consequences of their choices and when not to. But the point is that we love them the same way that God loves us. And so we bring that generous spirit to all of our relationships, which leads to that golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Now, there's nothing special about that. that you can find that prescription in almost any religion either in history or even today. As a matter of fact, we, we've known that in Jesus' time, there was a rabbinical teaching that was the negative version of this. Don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. They, they knew that golden rule, but Jesus tweaked it just a little bit and made it a positive one. And think about the difference that makes. Think about the changes in action it calls you to do. It calls you to be proactive. It calls you to be anticipatory of someone's needs. It calls for a thoughtfulness that's far different than just avoiding doing something you wouldn't want done to you. It means you think and are helpful in every way possible for them. Let me give you a couple examples of how we can apply this in our world as we seek to try to help bring out the specks in someone else's eyes. Uh, recently, Reverend Christine Marshall and her church, Bethel United Methodist Church, that's in a rural area near Anderson, Indiana, was featured in our conference website. They got this idea for last Lent in preparation for Easter to do something that would shout out to the community that we're about transformation, we're about new life. And so they, they came up with all these colorful butterflies, made them out of durable material and they put them in the ground and they just kept adding to them each week during Lent. It's a beautiful display until the wind came along. They, they, were able to they were able to gather about half of them and then they just made more because they loved that, that image of transformation and the leaving behind of a former way of life and that's what their church stands for. And I can affirm that because I I heard Reverend Christine Marshall spoke to our clergy gathering, the district gathering in Pendleton recently, and she shared a ministry that they were about. Not far from them is a strip club in Anderson, Indiana. And while some churches might choose to try to protest and try to get that place closed down, they chose instead to befriend the women dancers within that club, to get to know them, to understand them. And what they discovered was that most women, their dancers, are simply there because they just need the money. And so they started discovering what their needs might be, and they discovered some of them had children. And they found a way to, to tweak one of their ministries so that those children could be a part of that ministry. And they continued to work in other ways, trying to help them discover the skills so they can find something else to do with their life. But instead of condemning, instead of judging, they are helping 
in a way that's positive. If you read the book on Christian, you discover another example. In that book, they share the story of Cornerstone Church, a church that is in Simi Valley, California, a church that's taken a very strong stance towards the sanctity of life. But instead of protesting, instead of trying to shame women who have chosen to have an abortion, they look around and did their research and discovered that in their own county, there was 127 children that no one would adopt. 127 children. They were in foster care or just some kind of institution. And so they challenged their congregation, which has got about 10,000 members. If we're going to take a stance towards the sanctity of life, we've got to deal with the real-life problems that is part of that problem. And as the publication of that book, 23 had already been adopted by members of their congregation, and they vowed they would not take their next step until all 127 had been adopted. And the next step of their strategy was pretty positive as well. They would pay for and encourage any woman in that county to have an ultrasound because they discovered that research shows that 7 out of 10 women who have seen an ultrasound of their unborn baby will choose not to have an abortion. Now, I don't know what you think about that issue, but I find it refreshing for a church that's chosen to deal with something they care about and believe in, a conviction they have, but do it in a positive way. I wish Christians could always be as creative as that. And I think that expresses the spirit that Jesus is trying to say when he talks about taking that plank, that log out of your own eye, before you begin to help someone with that speck in their eye. Let me close this up with the last two verses in the passage we shared with you today. Jesus says, go in through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad and the road wide. So many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life is narrow and the road difficult. So few people find it. Now, I don't know if you've read that passage before, but it kind of scares me a little bit. I don't like that idea of narrow. I like the idea of God's grace being wide. And anybody and everybody can get through. And I'm not sure that Jesus is trying to condemn us there. I think he's trying to say, you've been hearing all that I've said through this Sermon on the Mount. And that way is not easy. That way is hard. We're, we're called to love our enemies. We're called to turn the other cheek. We're called to focus our energies on storing treasures in heaven instead of earth. And even today, we're called to look beyond lifestyle choices and not judge other people, but love them as God loves us. That is not an easy road. And the only way we get there is keeping our focus upon Jesus and walk with him step by step through that narrow way. I hope God can give us that spirit. It's much easier to criticize than to love unconditionally. It's much harder to face our own flaws and then work with people to figure out their own sin. May we be as generous in our love for others, especially those whose lifestyle we might disagree with. Let us see our own sin, admit it, and laugh at our own planks first so that we'll be better prepared to help people find the amazing life that Jesus dreams for all of us. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we, we know we got some planks to deal with. 
We're thankful for how you've helped us thus far. But may that not become a license for us to judge and criticize others. Help us to find that love that you have for us. Give others the benefit of the doubt that you've given to us to be as generous in spirit as you have been with us. This we ask to your son.